it's been proven that if you have, when you go into a restaurant, you look and you find one second exit, that if there's a panic, there's a shooting, there's a fire or explosion, if you have that second exit in mind, you have an 80% chance of survival over everyone else in that restaurant. Welcome to the Real Security Podcast, where we talk about real security issues with real security experts to help you protect yourself and your family with real security solutions. I'm Tiffany with the Lionheart Security Team, and today's podcast is all about helping to prepare you and your family for the rapidly changing security climate in our nation. Let's join our host, Tim Miller, as we talk about today's critical topic. Hey, welcome to another Real Security Podcast, and I am excited tonight to talk to my friend, uh, Dave Adler. Uh, Dave is one of those guys that has forgotten more than I know uh, about a lot of things, but primarily emergency planning. Uh, Dave has been a, uh, a fireman, a, para- a uh, uh, emergency planner. He's overseen mass incidents. He's kind of been there, done that. And um, I'm just thrilled tonight that we get to learn from him in terms of emergency planning, you know, really at the family level. And folks, let me just drive home this point. We really need to be taking our emergency planning and our own security seriously. Things are changing drastically. And I'm not just talking about violence. I'm talking about weather. I'm talking about a variety of things that we just need to be prepared for because the time to figure it out is not in the crisis. And I know my brother has all kinds of experience that he's going to talk about uh, tonight. So, Dave, just uh, thank you for being with me. Uh, thank you for your friendship and your mentorship and um, just tell everybody just a little bit about yourself. Well, thank you very much, Brother Tim. Um, The Lord has really blessed me with the opportunity to serve. Uh, I've spent 32 years in the fire service, uh, 10 years in a county homeland security position, uh, a county of a million people, um, worked at a state level, federal level, incident commander on tornado strikes, uh, international sporting events, and I am—I have just been very blessed, really. You've been there, done that, brother. And uh, I'm really hopeful tonight that you know a lot of our audience, you know, they're just, they're not people out of EMS or fire or police or whatever. And they just are thinking through the new times that we're living in and asking all the right questions. And I'm just thankful for people like you. We, we promise on this podcast, we're only going to bring forward experts. And uh, brother, you're the best expert I know with emergency planning. And with that said, let's take a look at uh, an event I think was fairly close to you, just kind of to set the stage a little bit. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing, isn't it? It is. There are neighbors' houses. Oh, my gosh. You see the houses being ripped apart. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. I mean, and those are his neighbors. Oh, my gosh. I'd be a little nervous that tornadoes coming your way too. And tornadoes can move. 
They can yeah. make 90 degree turns. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Oh, wow. Boy, look at the destruction. Total destruction. And you think you know where that happened, right? In Illinois? Oh, my gosh. I'm not sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, let me ask you, when you as an emergency uh, manager going in there trying to kind of pull all the resources and do what you do, uh, what are some things that come to your mind that families could prepare ahead of time to be, you know, at least somewhat prepared for a situation like that? Well, we always say a disaster starts and ends at the local level, at that house level. And so... And more fatalities occur in a person's home from fire and smoke and injuries than anywhere else. We wow. see these mass shootings, but still it doesn't compare to the number of people that are injured or killed at home. So yeah. you have to plan for a disaster at home. Now, it could be severe weather. And if you do have that tornado, we just had a tornado a year ago come within two blocks of my house. Wow. I've responded to tornadoes for over 30 years here. Wow. And are you prepared? And what does that mean? Well, you need some, first of all, where are you going for a shelter? Hmm. In your home. And you have to plan beforehand because when you plan beforehand, you have those slides up in your head. So then you're acting, you're not reacting in a panic mode. And everybody knows you need to train and practice with your family. Okay, we hear the tornado sirens. Or how else are you getting your alerts? One of the best ways are severe weather alert radios and your phone. And you can have those alarms go off, warnings go off on your phone. And when you hear it, believe it. A lot of people literally go outside to see if there's a tornado and they get hit and their house gets hit. Wow. And you don't, you could have seconds literally to go to safety. So find a secure, safe shelter in your home, the center of your home, preferably the basement if you have it and get down into a corner, you know, up against the walls. I was at a tornado in Illinois that killed many people and injured hundreds and A lot of people went down into this one basement, into the center, and when the floor collapsed, it killed everybody in the center. But if they had stayed along the foundation, they would have been okay. Wow. So shelter is number one. And the very first thing is your alerts. Make sure that you're getting your alerts so you know severe weather is coming. Because the severe uh, storm siren outside is literally meant for outdoor people, not for indoor. Oh, wow. It's not designed for you to hear it indoors. So that's why you need that severe weather alert radio and that phone to give you alerts inside your home. Dave, let me ask you and pause you for a second. So I don't have a basement. What do I do? You want to go, well, first of all, if you're in a, a mobile home, get in your car, and take off and go to another location because mobile homes, there's no place safe in a mobile home. Wow. We call mobile homes tornado magnets 
because it, it, when it hits these parks, these mobile homes just go flying. And I was at one of those about a year ago also, where wow. numerous homes, mobile homes were ripped off the ground, thrown and piled up on top of each other. There were larv, lod, live wires and, um, oh. natural gas and propane was leaking into the atmosphere and people were missing. Very serious situation. And if you're in a, a, a regular, home now, but you're on a, like a concrete slab. You want to go to the center, typically into the bathroom, okay. get inside the bathtub, get up against the bathtub, and that's going to be your safest location. You could bring a small mattress, put the mattress over you, and that would help protect you as debris goes flying. Okay. What about if you're outside? If you're outside, take a look at it. Again, try to Get in your car and go on a 90-degree angle away from it. These tornadoes can be very fast, and if you're out there by foot, get into a ditch, a ravine, somewhere where the debris can fly over you because one of the main killing mechanisms is the debris that's in the air. Right. You have nails and concrete and wood right. traveling 100 to 200 miles an hour, wow. and it's faster than a shotgun. Wow. Let me ask you this, Dave. So you're in a neighborhood and your house didn't get hit. What things can you do to prepare, maybe even to help save your neighbor's lives? What kinds of equipment, what kinds of things could you have that could make a difference when needed? That's a really good point, Tim. And the first things that you need are food, water, and shelter. Mm -hmm. FEMA recommends that you have at least 72 hours of food and water. And if that tornado comes through your neighborhood, you can guarantee that you're not going to have any electricity. It'll mm -hmm. tear up the electric lines so your lights are out. And think about it, too. In As far as Illinois is concerned, some of our most severe tornadoes and storms have been in the month of December. Wow. And, I didn't know that. And within days after the tornado, their snow has come in and temperatures oh down to zero to 10 degrees. Oh, my goodness. So this is what makes this even more important. Yeah. You know, now, yeah. and if the, if the electric is cut off, there's a possibility you might lose your water pressure also. And, or you might be on a well. And so if you have no power, you're not going to have any water. So you need that food supply. You need water supply. Um, and as far as electric is concerned, do you have a generator? Because now is that time to plan. If you don't plan, you're planning to fail. And that's that's powerful, Dave. That I mean, and and you know, I'm not trying to go national or international on some of our challenges facing the U.S., you know our team works very closely on some counterintelligence issues. And one of the great fears that I think would be crippling to the country would be to have massive power losses. So what do you recommend for, for people even to think about that? Certainly it could follow a tornado, but it, it could happen in other ways as well. It could. And so Again, you start with the simple things first. Do you have a fireplace in your home? Hmm. Do you have enough firewood? Hmm. Do you have a generator? And you always want to make sure that the generator is outside when you run it. 
Yeah. Many times people will bring a generator into their garage that's attached to their home, or they'll cook on a, like a Weber grill with charcoal in the garage and the carbon monoxide will come up into the home and it kills Mm. them. And so it's very important. Cook outside, keep your generator outside uh, with that generator. Can you connect it into your furnace? There's some devices that are very simple and you, where you could just plug in your furnace and flip like a, a room switch of your house, and now you could run your furnace, and you could be nice and warm. What also, about, Dave, I, I know people talk about the uh, water supply being their pool. What equipment is needed to take chlorinated water that I assume wouldn't be drinkable or potable and translate that into a at least a temporary water supply? Well, one of the big things that you could think of, and right after a tornado, I would do this right away, is fill up your bathtub with water. Mm -hmm. If you still have the power, fill up your tub right away. Mm -hmm. And this way, look at the water you have. Mm -hmm. You've got 40 to 80 gallons of water, or if you've got a whirlpool or something, it could even be a lot more. But also, um, you should have some bottled water on hand also. And... Remember your water heater. You've got 40 to 100 gallons of good water sitting there waiting to help you in your home at all times. And that's something to consider also. There's also filter sticks, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. What about um, you you hear about, you know, uh, like things like wise food? I know I have about four months of vacuum packed food that they advertise will last forever in a day. Um, Is that a good wise investment um, given that, you know, I, I haven't used mine in 15 years, but it's there if we need it. Is that something you recommend? That is a wonderful idea because products like that, all you have to do is add water. Yeah. And it could be cold. It'd be a little bit nicer to eat if it was warm, but at least you have food for you and your family. And it's, and if you, your neighbors got hit, at least you could be that light shining in the darkness of your community. Yeah, so, that's so absolutely, good. you need the food. And in the event that you have to leave, you could take that with you. Because remember, this could be a situation that not only affected your community, but it, you know, in some parts of the country, it's an earthquake. And what happens yeah. if there's a massive wildfire or earthquake or hurricane and there's no power anywhere? Now yeah. you're on your own. And yeah. FEMA has said, you're on your own for 72 hours, and it's really could be four days or more that you're on your own. So you have to plan to support your family. Another situation here that a lot of people don't think about is cash. Oh, it's yeah. important that you have some cash in your home. You can yeah. lock it up in a safe or drawer or something, but if there's no power, no ATMs are going to work. If yeah. there's no power, the gas stations are not going to work. It's yeah. going to be a cash environment. 
Yeah. I recommend you have two to four thousand dollars or whatever you could put together in cash and you want them small denominations. You want ten or twenty dollars because you don't want to give a hundred dollar bill to somebody, you yeah. know, for ten gallons of gas. Yeah. And yeah. Th- that's another thing to think about too, is your cars are a reservoir of gasoline also. Each one of those tanks. So if you see severe weather coming and you have a generator, you want to make sure that your five-gallon gas tanks are full, but you also want to make sure your cars are full. So in the event this turns into one of these situations where there is no power for seven to ten days or two weeks or longer, you have that extra supply in your cars. You know, that's brilliant because at the end of the day, the generator is not very helpful. Ask me how I know in Florida after a hurricane, if you cannot get fuel for the generator. Um, hey, let me ask you real quick, because I know there's some other things you want to talk about, too, with us. But what about tools? You know, like you've been there and people are trying to wade through their neighbor's houses that have been destroyed to do the right thing. Are there any tools that you would recommend having in advance, uh, pry bars or anything like that? And, uh, just so that you might be able to get weight off of people or, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Sure. And the vast majority of people that are rescued after a house explosion, um, after any major incident, it's, it's around 70 to 80 percent of the rescues are neighbors, people wow. right next to you that hear you calling out or they come around to your home. And one of the first things you want to do is in your home, have a fire extinguisher and oh, have yeah. at least a five or 10 pound fire, fire extinguisher. So you could put out a fire initially because the sooner you do it, you, the sooner you extinguish that fire, the smallest it's going to be. There's going to be exponential growth every second that you wait. And so put out a fire. If you see a, a gas uh, meter is ruptured, uh, you could use a pair of pliers or a pipe wrench to turn Ooh, that off. Good, That's going to you. limit that, you know, fire cause. Yeah. And then you could just use some of the debris, some big pry bars and crowbars. Yeah. Um, if you've got a chainsaw, remember, you're not going to have any electric. So yeah. it's got to be gas powered or most of the time you'll be able to pry people out with leverage. And, you know, if you have a, a cordless circular saw or sawzall, that could help come in too. And then it's important when you do find someone that you stay there. If even if you can't get them out, because when public safety, when fire and police show up, it's important for you to let them know that you've identified someone, what house they're in and where their location is. And that's going to help them go right into that person and get them out quickly. Dude, that's lots of moving pieces. And that is tremendous advice. You know, um, I did it as much for security after I went through some breaching training, but I keep a Halligan tool in my trunk for exactly that reason, not just for an event, you know, with a home, but with a car that potentially is going to be on fire. You can use a Halligan tool. You, you're the fire expert. I learned from you guys, but, uh, what a great tool. But uh, again, the, you got to have it in advance. You can't go, Hey, I'll be right back. I'm going to run down to Lowe's and get this. So this is just tremendous information. And I think 
all of us need to really think about how prepared are we really. Um, and, and Dave, you know, you, you mentioned other concerns that families should plan for as well. What, what are some of those? Well, again, I had mentioned earlier that so many people, the vast majority of people that die in fires across the United States die in their own home or their own apartment. Wow. And this is so important. The number one thing you need is a smoke detector. Yeah. And I think what people don't realize is the smoke in a fire, the very first thing that it affects is your logical thinking, the carbon monoxide. And I was on a fire in an apartment fire where when we pulled up, it was a Saturday morning, five o'clock in the morning. I could see right down the hallway. We got there and we didn't see any smoke at all. There was a very small fire in one apartment and we broke in right away, but the whole apartment was full of smoke and two adult brothers died. A mom died and a little baby died and they were alive in that apartment walking around and we saw their hand marks all around the walls. Their hand marks were on the window. And oh because of the, the smoke, they couldn't figure out how to open up the window or why. And another one of them died at the door to the hallway with fresh air, but he couldn't turn the doorknob because he didn't know how to turn the doorknob or why he wanted to come out. Wow. That's why smoke detectors are so important. Wow. Because if the smoke gets you when you're sleeping, when you wake up, you might not know how to open up that doorknob. Wow. I never thought about that. It really does. It, it totally destroys your ability to think clearly. Yes. Wow, man. Now, wh- what? what happens when you're, uh, and where do you go then? It's really important. Yeah. You have your smoke detectors and they go off in two o'clock in the morning. What do yeah. we do? Yeah. This is where you plan. You go, you have a meeting place outside. Let's say it's by your, the street by the mailbox. It's the best place to go or at the end of your driveway. And this way, depending on the age of your kids, everybody knows we're going to meet by that mailbox. You don't go anywhere else. Even if it's snowing out or anything, you know, you stay there because, and I, I tell my family that if I don't see you out there, I'm going back in to get you as a lay person. You want to get out and the fire department will be there quickly and they need to have an idea that there's someone still trapped who's in the and home. where they are. Yeah. And then after that's happened, if it's really cold, you can use your car as a shelter in the driveway, yeah. warm it up, stay warm in there. But that's again, good. please smoke detectors. Use yeah. them. Well, I tell you, you know, it's funny too. Uh, it used to be a big deal, you know, fire men would knock on the door. Hey, do you have smoke detectors? Here's one. Uh, it seems to have let up. And, and I think there's a complacency with fire. And as we know, um, I, there's an, a house that burned to the ground and killed three people less than about five miles from me. So mm. it's not like, you know, it, it's not happening, you know, but that's such good advice, really good advice. Um, what else should families be thinking and planning for? And again, we want to bring this right down to your home. Yeah. Grassroots here. Yeah. When have you ever had a CPR class? Do you know how to do the Heimlich maneuver? Yeah. Who are you going to call? Yeah. Um, you know, think about a scenario where you're sitting at Thanksgiving at the table 
and everybody's having a great time and eating and you look across the table and your grandma's looking at you with wide eyes. Yeah. Her mouth is open and you look at her and say, grandma, are you okay? And she shakes her head. And can you speak? She's got a total airway obstruction. Yep. This happened to me. Oh boy. In a restaurant and I grabbed her. Brought her over, started doing the Heimlich maneuver, and she's turning purple now. And I was doing the Heimlich maneuver over and over again. I was pushing on her, and now she's unconscious. Laid her on the floor, turned around, told the waitress, call 911. She's unconscious. I was doing the Heimlich maneuver again on her stomach. And actually, being a paramedic, I looked up, but I, I saw a steak knife. I said, oh, I'm going to have to crank grandma, open up her throat. Oh, and I no. didn't, never want to do that. But, you know, she was <laughs> dying. And I said three yeah. more times. And I said, please, Lord, yeah. dislodge this. And yeah. on the third push, oh my! while goodness. she's unconscious, the piece of meat came out. Oh, she started gasping. And she spent three days in the cardiac care unit. But oh. this could happen in your home and yep. with little kids, little yep. babies. That's do right. you know CPR? Yeah. And This is a way that you could save one of your family members with a simple CPR class, Heimlich maneuver, and it's the same thing for a first aid class. Yep. These are so valuable. That's right. The people you can save are your own family members. Yeah. Or, you know, Dave, it's interesting. You know, uh, we are Lionheart team now is training Stop the Bleed. Yes. And a, a simple tourniquet. You know, if there's a severe enough injury to one of your limbs, you got about two minutes before that artery is going to bleed out and you're dead. And, you know, things like learning to apply tourniquets, you know, it, it's a two hour class that teaches you how to put tourniquets on and how to put pressure bandages on. And, it, you know, kind of came out of all the recent mass shootings, but it's a fantastic program. And I would challenge everybody listening. You know, if you don't have basic first aid, if you don't have CPR, if you don't have stop the bleed, do it. Because I promise you, if you're faced with that situation, that training will be the most important training that you've ever had. And uh, the other side is, if you're that person that needs help, you're hoping and praying that somebody knows what to do, which is why I love what we get to do, you know, on this podcast and across the country and preparing organizations. And you know, Dave, I, I do want to touch on on one more thing um, as we kind of wind down. I know we focused on uh, being at home and focusing on ho- at home, but unfortunately, families are finding themselves in the middle. I, I'm just going to be blunt of hell. They don't expect it. It's not something that we wake up in the morning and go, hey, you know, I, I, I may very well find myself in a hellish situation. And uh, I, I just want to take a look at this. And I'd love your feedback and comments on this. Christmas parade.
you know, when you look at the carnage of that, and and I think it's important. You know, we we train as as you know, Dave. We tr- we have the privilege of training a lot of law enforcement officers, and and they're used to training. EMS folks, they're used to training for the worst case. But nobody's thinking at a small town Christmas parade that they're going to be part of a mass casualty event. And unfortunately, now this guy was just convicted. Um, you know, mental health issues and all kinds of other issues engaged. But I just, I think it's important that the families that we're talking to understand that you may find yourself in the middle of tragedy, not just at home, but at the shopping mall or at the Christmas parade or in the movie theater. And so emergency planning is kind of all life planning, isn't it? And yes, it I, is. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Your very first consideration is situational awareness. Whether you're in the grocery yeah. store, you're driving down the street, uh, you're in your backyard or you're at a parade, you need to be looking around and you need to know, at least have in your mind, two or three exits for wherever you're at. It's been proven that if you have, when you go into a restaurant, you look and you find one second exit, that if there's a panic, there's a shooting, there's a fire or explosion, if you have that second exit in mind, you have an 80% chance of survival over everyone else in that restaurant. Wow. Because everyone's going to go for the door because they're reacting. Wow. But you're acting. So your situational awareness, think about it. Every time you go to a grocery store, every time you go to a restaurant, um, you know, you go to a concert, you go to that parade. If you look, okay, there's an alley over here I could dive into or bring my family into to protect them from the bullets flying or a bad situation. That situational awareness is key. And that alone could save your life besides the first aid and everything else that we could talk about. Dave, that's just, uh, I mean, liquid gold. And, and that's kind of, as you know, me, you've heard it. Um, I, I, when I was the director of training, there was at, at the, from my agency at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, there was all kinds of research by high-end uh, colleges about how the human mind performs in a crisis. And what you said is critical to survival. As a matter of fact, out of that study, the psychiatrist, psychologist, the study group estimated that about 90% of your survival in a crisis is mental. And the mental things you're talking yes. about, I ask four questions everywhere I go. I don't even have to ask them. They're autopilot now. Where are the exits? I want to know more than one because the one may have a shooter in it. The one I came in may have a shooter. In it. So I want options. I want to know. Number two, what are people doing? Because when you walk in and there's tension or there's stuff happening that you automatically know, oh, something's not going on here, that's a great time to turn around and walk out right then. And then the third thing is I'm looking for cover and concealment in today's world. If they're shooting, where is my cover? Where is my concealment to hide my family? And then the fourth thing is what's my plan to get out? 
And if you're thinking through those things, and we know through what's called the OODA loop cycle that humans in crisis make decisions about every quarter second, and the more you train in advance, the quicker those decisions are made and the better those decisions are. So I, I love where you went. You teed me up. I love it. I'm passionate about it because, you know, it, it happens. And, you know, brother, I've been in horrific situations and you have too. It happens so fast. Yes. And that's why what we're talking about is so important because if we can get this right, um, there are a lot of people out here who are listening, who are going to begin to say, ah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Let me start doing some things and we'll make it um, safer for my family and myself. And Dave, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful for your wisdom and, and just your willingness to share it. I, I know we'll be presenting in different places together and, and going into more detail. And uh, certainly with organizations now, they're shifting big time towards safety, uh, you know, employee safety. And, um, but I'm just thankful that hopefully this venue will get the information out to a lot of people who may or may not have the opportunity. So thank you, my friend. Uh, tonight's been an incredible uh, discussion and, and I know it will be helpful. And thank you for all you do to serve so many people so well. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for watching The Real Security Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our important future conversations. We'd love for you to add your voice to the discussion. Let us know what you think in the comments below. Remember, protecting your family and the things you love is your responsibility. And the best time to prepare and plan and practice your security is before a crisis. Stay safe out there. Thank <laughs> you.